Scripture reading this morning will be Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Thank you, Cameron. We appreciate Cameron reading our scripture. Today, we're very thankful for our young men who read our scripture from week to week. We're very proud of them as well as all of our young people. I do want to remind you that tonight we have, we're going to be having a, a dinner and devotional for our young people. We want to encourage each and every one to stay and be a part of that. I actually walked through the kitchen area and it smelled good and so if you're hungry I would stay. We're going to be looking tonight at the book of Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 through 11 the theme of our study tonight is going to be, how is your prayer life? Prayer ought to be something that all of us avail ourselves of on a regular basis. It ought to be a natural, normal part of our Christian life. And yet, so many times in life, we fail to pray on a regular basis. Maybe when a crisis occurs, then we think to pray. But we are encouraged to pray regularly. And we are reminded in the scriptures over and over again of the benefits and the blessings associated with praying to God. And so tonight we want to think about what is recorded in what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount. And in verses 7 through 11, Jesus specifically spends some time talking about prayer. The first thing that I want to call your attention to is the privilege of prayer. And I would submit unto you tonight that prayer is indeed a great privilege. It is what might best be called a spiritual blessing. You and I as God's people, we enjoy a wide variety of spiritual blessings in Christ. When Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1 verse 3, he said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Every spiritual blessing known to man resides in Christ Jesus. One of the reasons why I would encourage men and women, young and old, to obey the gospel, to become a child of God, is because of the great resource of prayer. Because prayer is, as I said a moment ago, a spiritual blessing. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 12, The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers or their supplications. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Let me just pause here for a moment and point out that Jesus exhorts us to pray. As a matter of fact, we have an exhortation. We have numerous exhortations throughout the Bible to pray. 
But as we think about this exhortation, I'm reminded of what Jesus said in verse 7. When in the long ago, he said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Here Jesus is literally inviting us before our Heavenly Father's throne. But let me, let me ask this question. For whom or for what should we pray? I think that there are several, there are several categories of individuals for whom we should pray. First, let me suggest that we ought to pray for ourselves. That is, when we talk about prayer and the importance of a prayer life, self ought to be included. That is, we ought to pray for ourselves regularly, daily. Think about how in this life we are bombarded by so many different things. It's very difficult for us as God's people sometimes to maintain our faith and fidelity, particularly in light of all of the, the things that we face on a regular basis. I'm reminded of temptation and how temptation is a very real part of life. James said, let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust. And lust, when it has conceived, brings forth sin. Sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so James would say, Do not err or be deceived, my beloved brethren. Temptation abounds on every front. And so you and I, as God's people, we can go to the Lord and pray that He would help us overcome the temptations of life. What about? What about trouble, trial, or tribulation? Was it not James that said in James chapter 1 at verse 2, Count it all joy when you fall into manifold or various trials? Knowing that the trying of your faith, you and I, we live in a world subjected to trials and tribulations and difficulties. The various adversities of life, our circumstances can change on a dime. We saw that yesterday with the tornado that swept through the state of Mississippi. Ten people killed as a result of the various tornadoes that swept through this great state. Things can change so quickly. And yet we have as a resource prayer. We can pray to God. We can pray to Him for ourselves. We can go before the throne of God and literally lay out the trials and the tribulations that we're facing, the problems that, that we're being confronted with. Now here's something that maybe we ought to think about in connection to prayer. There are times in life when, when we're facing some circumstances and maybe we and we alone know about those, those things that we're being confronted with. Maybe we've not shared them with anyone else. Maybe we have... Maybe we have made the decision to bear this thing alone. And yet the one person that we choose to share what we're experiencing in life with is Almighty God. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Did you note that Peter said, Casting all, A-L-L, every care that we bear in this life, we have the opportunity, the privilege, to lay it at the throne of God. Now this past week there has been a lot of controversy. As a matter of fact, I noticed where Sarah, Sarah Palin was in Knoxville, Tennessee at a trial. 
because someone had hacked into her email account and thus read her various emails. And as a result of that, is facing several counts of a felony. But whatever we take to the throne of God, however heavy our burdens in this life may be, one thing is for sure. When we lay it on the throne of God, no one is going to be able to hack into our prayer life and find out the secrets that we're bearing. The trials, the troubles, the difficulties. Maybe, maybe, as I said a moment ago, there are some things that we're experiencing that we do not feel like we ought to share with someone else. But we can lay it at the altar of God. And to know that when we lay it at His altar, it stays on His altar. No one is privy, privy to that information. So we need to be, we need to be the kind of people that, that pray. And we need to be people who pray for ourselves. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul wrote, In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Literally, the Lord is like a garrison surrounding us, guarding us, protecting us. And Paul is simply saying, you and I, as the people of God, do not need to worry. We do not need to be anxious about the various things of life. Whatever we face in life, turn it over to God. So first of all, pray for self. But then secondly, we can pray for other saints. What a privilege to go to the throne of God for others in prayer, to pray for people of like precious faith. When Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, he talked about how he gave thanks to God for them, remembering them without ceasing in his prayers in chapter 1, verse 3. Paul prayed for other people. He prayed for other saints. And you and I, we have the opportunity to pray for one another. In James chapter 5, James said, Confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Is it not comforting to know that whatever difficulties we experience in life, we can share those difficulties with one another? And we can ask fellow members of the body of Christ to pray for us? Think about what Paul said when he wrote to the church at Thessalonica in chapter 5, verse 25. Here is Paul, an inspired apostle, and he said, Brethren, pray for us. Paul wanted other people, other saints, other members of the church of Christ to pray for him and those with whom he served. Let me give you a third class of people that we ought to pray for. And that is we ought to pray for sinners. We ought to be praying for those who are outside the scope of spiritual safety. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, he said in Romans chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Let me ask this question. When is the last time you got down on your knees and prayed for somebody outside of Christ? When is the last time you went to the throne of God and prayed for somebody who is not a member of the church that they might have the opportunity to hear, believe, and obey the gospel of Christ? Is it not the case that we ought to be praying for the lost, that they would be receptive to the gospel? 
In Luke chapter 8, verse 11, Jesus said, The seed of the kingdom is the word of God. When that seed falls on honest or noble and good hearts, it will ultimately yield forth fruit. And so you and I, we ought to be praying that God's word will find a home in the hearts and lives of those who are outside of Christ. Isaiah, Isaiah in the long ago, reassures us that God's word will not return to him void. And so when we plant that word in honest and good hearts, it will ultimately yield fruit. And so I would encourage you, pray for the lost. You and I, we ought to pray for the lost. And we ought to be looking for opportunities. In Colossians chapter 4, Paul said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, also praying for us that a door might be open, opened to us for the word, that I might speak the mystery of Christ and make it manifest as I ought to speak. Now, when Paul wrote to the saints in Colossae, guess where he was? He was in prison. I find it interesting that when Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, and we don't know what, I don't know what kind of circumstances he was, was facing inside that, that prison cell, I think about the, the Roman guards that would have been literally chained to his side 24 hours a day. I don't know if he was hot or cold, if he was hungry or thirsty, if he was sick. I don't know what his conditions were. But you just think about if you had been in the place of Paul and you had the opportunity to write to somebody, what would you write to them and ask them to do? Probably pray for me. Pray for my release. Pray that, that things might might go well for me, that I might soon be released from prison, whatever the case may be. But here's Paul, he's writing to the church at Colossae, and here's what he's saying. Pray that God will open a door so that I can preach and teach the gospel of Christ to the lost. That says something about somebody's faith, doesn't it? It says something about his faith. And so we ought to be praying for sinners, that is for the lost. And then finally, I would suggest that we ought to pray for the state of our nation. If there was ever a time in the history of this country that our, that our leaders, that our democracy needed our fervent prayers, now is the time. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 1, Paul said, I will therefore that prayers, intercessions, the giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Is it not the case that you and I ought to go to the throne of God day and night for our leaders, praying that they will exercise wisdom and discernment in the various acts of legislation that they're engaged in, praying that they would keep in mind the will of God, the word of God, because remember, when Solomon wrote in Proverbs 14, verse 34, he said, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach unto any people. You and I ought to pray fervently for this nation. God has richly blessed our country. And you and I, we do not know what, what the affairs of this country will be in the future. We hope and pray that God will continue to bless this country immeasurably. We ought to be praying for the state of our nation. And I would also just point this out. Even though our nation is literally upside down in sin, 
What our nation needs is a healthy dose of righteousness. And guess who has the key to righteousness? We do. We have what this nation needs. That's the gospel. We have the ability to literally change the course of this nation. When Paul and Silas went to the city of Thessalonica, the charge was made in Acts 17 verse 6 that these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I as God's people turned this world upside down, beginning right here in the United States? Secondly, as we think about our lesson in Matthew chapter 7, we talk not just about the privilege of prayer, but the persistence in prayer. When we talk about having a persistent prayer life, we're really emphasizing the importance of having a steadfast prayer life. Again, think about what Paul said in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, when he said, Continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 8. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. Him who knocks, he said it will be opened. He prefaced this by saying, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. What's Jesus saying? I think one of the things he's emphasizing is we need to be persistent in our prayer life. In Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint. You see, one of the great tools of the devil is discouragement. If the devil can get you discouraged, what, you, what, what is likely to happen is you'll give up. And if you quit praying, if you quit serving the Lord, then you've gone back to the world. You've gone back to your old way of life. The Lord, the Lord knew in His infinite wisdom that we're going to face trials and tribulations in life. And we're going to pray to God. And we're going to go before His throne. And the tendency might be to pray occasionally, and then because things don't seem to be going in our direction, we just give up. We throw up our hands and say, what's the use? Well, Jesus said that we ought to pray always and not to faint. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 7, 17, he said, pray without ceasing. What Paul is saying there is that prayer ought to be a normal part of our daily lives. It ought to be as normal to us as eating and drinking. It ought to be as normal to us as breathing oxygen 24-7. Pray, he said, without ceasing. And then James wrote in James 5, at verse 16, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And so we think about an effective, fervent prayer life. It's going to be, it's going to be something that, that we're involved in on a regular basis. It's not something that we periodically do, but rather it's just a normal part of daily life. I would encourage you to, to think about, with me for a moment or two, some examples of those who engaged in a fervent prayer life. Let me give you three examples that I can think about from, from the Scriptures. The first would be an Old Testament example, a man by the name of David. David, you recall, was a man after God's own heart. And we typically look at David and we think about what a great man he was. But in Psalm 55, verse 17, David in the long ago wrote, and really in Psalm 55, it is a psalm where he lays, he lays bare 
his heart before God. He has been wronged, and, and the person that has inflicted the wrongdoing was somebody close to him. And so in verse 22, he would say, Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. But in verse 17, he said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. And what's the assurance? The Lord would hear his voice. Here, David said in the long ago that three times a day, and I, I, I believe that no doubt in the life of David, he prayed more than three times a day. But he speaks here of evening, morning, and noon, praying to Jehovah God, a regular part of his daily life. A second example would be Jesus. You ever thought about how much time Jesus spent in prayer to God the Father? We talk about Jesus as our great example. Paul would write in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Christ has left us an example that we should follow in His steps. All Paul and Peter are saying is that Christ is our great example. Here is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Word He became flesh, and do you know what He did on, on a regular basis? He prayed to God. In Mark chapter 1 verse 35 we read of Jesus rising early in the morning, going out to a solitary place, and praying to Jehovah God. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6, verse 12, before he selected the apostles, those 12 men that would serve with him, that would, that would ultimately take the gospel to the whole world, he spent the night in prayer to God. Spent the night praying to God. Think about some of the things that we face on a regular basis. We talked just a moment ago about the temptations that confront us regularly, the trials, the tribulations, the adversities of life, death, a common foe, something that all of us, we feel the effects of on a regular basis. And yet, because of these things, we have the opportunity to pray. So when we are, when we are confronted with all of these problems and all of these difficulties, when we have tremendous, when we have decisions that have to be made, decisions that, that may be somewhat life-changing or life-altering, do we ever get up early in the morning and just rope off some time to pray to God? Do we ever say, tonight I'm going to spend this time in prayer to God? Would it be wrong to do that? I think it would be very helpful for us to realize that that prayer has the potential to change our lives. And I think that's why Jesus prayed. And so here you have Jesus praying early in the morning, praying all night to God. And then in Luke 22, we read about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible tells us, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Here is Jesus in the shadow of the cross, pouring out his heart to God the Father. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard in that he feared. Did you know that when Jesus faced the cross, he shed tears? He literally wept 
in the shadow of the cross? What if you and I were facing execution tonight? What would we do? What would we be doing right now? I suspect one of the things we would be doing is praying to God to give us the strength, the courage, the resolve to face death, to meet it head on, to help us praying to God, reminding, trying to remind ourselves of the fact that the Lord will be with us as we face death. As the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you're with me. And so to know that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, spent time in prayer. And then a third example of prayer would be the life of Paul. There are a lot of things about Paul that, that I think are admirable traits. As a matter of fact, when you begin to look at his life under a microscope, there's so many things that you could say about his life. Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Be followers or imitators of me, even as I also am of Christ Jesus. What a great man Paul was. And yet, throughout the various books of the New Testament that he penned, one of the things that he expressed over and over again was the fact that he was praying for brethren, for fellow members of the body of Christ. When he wrote to Timothy, and Timothy was his own son in the faith, according to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. When he wrote his second letter to Timothy, and this was in about A.D. 68, death was looming. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, Paul said he was praying for Timothy night and day. Paul was a man of prayer. In, in Acts chapter 16, it should not be lost on us that when Paul and Silas had been beaten, and their feet had been fastened in stocks. They were imprisoned in the city of Philippi. The Bible tells us, Luke, the inspired historian, tells us in verse 25 that at midnight they did what? They prayed and sang praises to God. Why do you think Paul prayed? Why do you think Paul and Silas bowed their heads in prayer to God? I think the reason they did because it was such a normal part of their everyday living. Paul prayed regularly. And so when you look at the lives of these three men, you see individuals who understood the importance of prayer, persistence in prayer. And then a third thing that I want you to think about with me in our lesson this evening, the provisions of prayer. The strength that is afforded us through prayer. Note if you would what Jesus said. Go back and look at verse 7. Ask and it will be given you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, Jesus said, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. And then look at verse 9. What man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? What do you think Jesus is saying here? I think ultimately what He's trying to do is encourage us in our prayer life. Reminding us that God is able to supply our every need. I think really that's the thrust of what He's saying. 
Think for a moment about those of us, those of us who are parents. Think for a moment about the relationship that we have with our children. Most of us as parents, we want to do what? We want to provide the very best for our children. We want to make sure that they have a good education. We want to ensure that, that from a physical vantage point, they're growing and maturing. Intellectually, we want to see them grow. Spiritually speaking, we want, to, we want to do everything that we can to create an environment where they are growing in favor with God and man. We love our children. And we want the very best for them. And typically, if we see a need, if we recognize a need in the lives of our children, what do we do? We do our dead level best to provide it. What's Jesus saying? He's saying that God knows our every need and that God is able to supply every need that we have. Let me give you a couple of passages of Scripture, I think, that underscore that. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul writes to the saints at Ephesus, and he said, Unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Did you note what he said? Speaking of God, unto him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. I think about here's Almighty God in heaven. He realizes the needs and the wants that we have in life. He understands our circumstance, circumstances in life. The very hairs of our head are numbered, as Jesus said, he knows us inside out. The psalmist said, He knows our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. God knows us. And God will lavish upon us an abundance of blessings. That's something that we ought to be grateful for. To know that God will do that. And then a second passage is found in Philippians chapter 4 at verse 19. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, and again, Paul is he's in prison. The time is A.D. 62. And here's what Paul said, But my God, Paul here is speaking about God from a personal vantage point. Listen to what he says, But my God. How often do we think about God in those terms? Sometimes we talk about God in an abstract way, don't we? Is God personal to you? When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, he said, But my God shall supply every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. God is able to supply our every need, whatever that need, that need may be. Now go back again and look at Matthew chapter 7 for a moment. Jesus has encouraged us to pray. And he has assured us that our prayers are heard by Almighty God. And that God, as our Heavenly Father, knows our needs, He's concerned about our needs, and He will meet our needs. Now, in light of that, let me just, let me just make this observation. Go back again to the analogy of, of parents and children, and God and His children. As parents, our children will sometimes come to us and they will make requests, will they not? Sometimes they ask 
they ask certain things of us or from us. How do we respond? Sometimes we say yes. Do we not? Sometimes we say okay. Sometimes, however, we say no. Sometimes we say not now. When we, when we respond to our children, typically there are reasons why we give certain answers. When we say yes, it's because we believe that whatever they're asking for is something they need, it's something that we can do, it's something we want to do for them. There's no reason that we should, that we should withhold this wish, and so we give it to them. There are other times in life, however, when our children come to us and they make requests, and we say no. The reason we say no is because in our wisdom, because we've hopefully been around the block a time or two, and maybe we, we've got a little bit more insight than they do at that particular juncture in life, we recognize that what they're asking for, they're not equipped to handle at that point in time in life. And so we say no. There are certain times in life when we need to say no. But then there are also occasions when they will ask certain things of us or from us. And we say, not now, but maybe later. Again, it's because of wisdom, discernment, because we've been around the block a time or two, and because we know that maybe what they're asking for at this particular point in time in their lives is not something they need right now. But maybe with maturity and time, they can handle it. Now let me ask this, is that not how God responds to us? Sometimes we think, just like our children, we need something and we need it now. Sometimes God says yes. He's in agreement. Sometimes God says no. And sometimes God says, you need to wait. Learning to trust in God. To lay it at His altar and to understand whatever His will is, is what is best in our life. Let me also just add this very quickly. Look again at what Jesus said. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. To him who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. You ever feel like you're bothering God asking him for the same thing over and over and over again? You ever do that? Yes or no? Do you ever find yourself praying to God about the same thing day in and day out? And in so doing, do you ever get the feeling that you are burdening God, that you are wearying Him? There, there have been occasions when, when I've been praying for something in my life and I've thought about, I've thought, I hate to keep asking God for this. But really, I think when you look, look at what the Bible has to say, that's what God is there for. That's what God wants us to do. God does not place a limitation on our prayer life. It's not something where we have, that we have the opportunity to pray 5 or 10 or 15 times a day and that's it. 
or that we're limited on the number of times that we can pray about a certain issue in life or a certain problem or a certain difficulty or temptation. Peter said, casting all your cares on him for he cares for you. Now with that in mind, go, go to Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. In Hebrews 4 verse 16, the Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Maybe we're coming before the throne of God 24-7, and we're going before His throne day and night, asking Him over and over and over again about a problem or a circumstance in life, a heartache or a sorrow that we're experiencing. Is it not the case that that's what God wants us to do? And that in so doing, God will alleviate the sorrows or the heartaches that we're being burdened with in life? And so, I close tonight by asking this question. How is your prayer life? The song we sang a moment ago, Er, you left your room this morning, or the song that we sing from time to time, or you left your room this morning, did you think to pray? What a great resource prayer is. And as God's people, we, above, we, we ought to pray regularly, day and night, because it is such a great blessing and such a great benefit. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. If you're not a Christian, then sadly, prayer is not a blessing to you in this life. It's not a benefit because you see all spiritual blessings are where? They're in Christ, Ephesians 1.3. The way to get into Christ is to believe that He is the Son of God, John 8.24. Repent of your sins, Luke 13.3. Confess His name before others, Matthew 10.32. And then be buried with Him in a watery grave of baptism, Colossians 2, verse 12. In so doing, the Bible assures us every sin will be washed away, Acts 22, verse 16. And then, the exhortation is simple, be faithful until death. The promise being the crown of life, Revelation 2, at verse 10. If you're here tonight, maybe you're not faithful to the cause of Christ. Maybe you've gone back into the world. Maybe you have succumbed to a life of sin and unrighteousness once again. Well, the good news is God will forgive. The Bible says... God is faithful in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you come as we stand and sing?